Hi, I'm Martha. Hi, I'm Izzy. Welcome to the Lookouts Podcast Repoints Track. Today's episode is reminiscing with the real world Davy Shellback. The following interview with Donald Blum of Sea Scout Ship Griffin in the Pacific Skyline Council was originally recorded on September 25th, 2011 for the Sea Scout Centennial. Donald Blum has been in scouting since he was a Cub Scout in 1937. He is a quartermaster Sea Scout who joined the Sea Scout Ship Challenger in 1944. Mr. Blum has been a skipper, a mate, a council vice commodore, and council commodore. Join us to hear Mr. Blum share his sea stories from the San Mateo Council, which merged with the Stanford Council in 1994 to form the Pacific Skyline Council. Don shared memories of volunteers, Sea Scout events, a cruise to Hawaii on a troop transport in 1950, and traditions right out of the Sea Scout manual. Uh, I joined Sea Scouting when I was 16 years old. I've been in Boy Scouts since I was 12 and in Cubs since I was nine. So basically, I've been in the Boy Scouts continuously registered since 1937. But uh, a friend of mine and I were in the Sea Scouts together, or joined the Sea Scouts together, were recruited by a member of the ship by the name of Cal Rothenberg. Uh, Cal is presently a member of the Sequoia Yacht Club and has been for about 40 years uh, the institution that sponsors the Griffin now. I joined, joined Sea Scouts in 1944. The ship I joined was the Sea Scout ship Challenger number 145 of Redwood City, sponsored by the Redwood City Kiwanis Club. Uh, the ship belonged to the San Mateo County Council. Well, since 1944, when I joined Sea Scouting uh, to the present, I've literally interacted with probably over a thousand youth and adults, many of which became my best friends. I've introduced some of them to their wives. I've seen some of the lads grow up to go to various service academies and it's been a very satisfying experience. My wife has also enjoyed it and when I was younger we used to have hordes of Sea Scouts here on Sundays working on advancement, playing ping pong and eating my food. There were a number of Sea Scout ships in our council. Uh, when I joined Sea Scouting, which was during World War II, there were only about four ships in our council at that time. Uh, two from, or one from Burlingame, which was the Avenger, one from San Mateo, which was the Buccaneer, the Challenger, and possibly one other ship. After World War II, when adult leaders returned and boats became available, the program uh, increased immeasurably. Uh, later on in the 50s and early 60s, we had 10 active Sea Scout units in San Mateo County Council and approximately 300 youth. Uh, the first ship in San Mateo 
Council, to the best of my knowledge, was a challenger. It was formed in 1928 as an offshoot of Boy Scout Troop 143 in Redwood City. It was first a Sea Scout Patrol, which was a, something that was specified in the Sea Scout manuals at that time, and then grew into a full-fledged Sea Scout ship. We used the traditional Sea Scout manual, uh, the 1939 edition, which was written by Carl D. Lane, uh, who was an exceptional author uh, on youth and also on maritime subjects. I, heard, I was awarded my Quartermaster Award on my 21st birthday. Uh, I passed the test sometime before, but the Bridge of Honor happened to fall on my 21st birthday, which was quite a ceremonial evening. I've held every position as a volunteer. Uh, I've been a mate, a skipper for a short period of time. I've served as a vice commodore and commodore of our council. And once again, I'm a mate now. These Sea Scout ships that I remember as a youth uh, were two from Stanford Council, the Sirius and the Alcor. Uh, they were both sailing whale boats, and I believe they morphed into the Intrepid and Captain Rucky. There was also the Sea Eagle from Mountain View, which was part of that council, which was also a fairly early ship. It, it was a program that youth were very proud to enter. Uh, most everyone, when they became of 17 or 18 years of old, high school graduates, were going to go into the service. So they were taking it very seriously. Uh, the cruising was limited by Coast Guard regulations. There was no sailing in much of the bay after dark. Uh, there was a lot of security. Uh, sea Scouts in those days, in order to uh, have identification, had to get seamen's papers from the Coast Guard. And this later turned out to be a rather good thing because it documented my time when I had to get a Coast Guard license later on. They, the Sea Scouts worked in coordination with the Boy Scouts. Uh, there was a number of uh, drives to have people donate aluminum, uh, copper, tin foil, fat, which was used to produce explosives, and uh, we all participated in these things. Uh, many of us put in many hours and received some awards for it. One of the ones that's kind of interesting that I still have is the Eisenhower Award, which was granted to scouts who had put in over 100 hours of donated time towards getting materials for the war effort. They, uh, the one I remember most was the regional regatta. Uh, that was in 1944, it was the first regatta I went to. It was in Stockton, really a big deal. Uh, being I was a newcomer and still an apprentice at that point, 
I was not allowed to go up river on the Challenger, which was our boat, but instead several of us from the Challenger and other Sea Scout ships loaded onto the vessel Delta King and went up the river on that. We met in front of the USO in San Francisco in our dress blues with our sea bags and the Red Cross took pity on us and gave us coffee and donuts. They didn't, of course we had our hats turned backwards so they didn't know we were Sea Scouts. Uh, it was a very long, large regatta. Uh, there was a march from the regatta site which was Lewis Park into Stockton for the Bridge and Ball, which was held at the Central Auditorium, and all the Sea Scouts were there in their dress blues, sweltering to death, with a band playing as we marched through Stockton. Uh, during the 1940s, uh, at least during the wartime period, all the boats were pre-war because there was nothing released by the military until approximately 1946. Uh, the boats that we had when I first joined Sea Scouts were generally of a couple of types. Uh, sailboats were all whale boats and uh, generally either 26 or 30 foot, either sloop rigged or catch rigged. The Challenger was a 30 foot catch that had a cabin built on it and also was a keel boat. The other types of boats they had uh, were Admiral's barges, which were very attractive boats, although they did kind of resemble a canoe the way they rolled. Uh, Burlingame had one of those. And then uh, there were several open liberty launches from the 30s. Uh, starting, I'll say about 19. 47, 48, uh, the surplus boats were really accumulating. Uh, there were a couple of types that were uh, available. Uh, the Challenger that in 1950 acquired the Fury. It was a 50-foot converted Liberty launch uh, without engine but with pilot house that was used as a diving boat at Mare Island. Other ships had landing craft. These were quite plentiful, either LCVPs or LCPLs. Uh, those were the, and some 38 and 45 foot picket boats were used. The, the highest point I, I guess you could say, which was unusual, was the trip that was arranged by the council uh, to cruise on a Navy vessel to Hawaii and back. That took place in May of 1950, just before Korea broke out. Uh, our council, San Mateo County Council, had 60 Sea Scouts and adults on this cruise, and I was one of them. Uh, it was a wonderful time. It was 28 days, or I mean, excuse me, 14 days for $28. Uh, the ship was the USS Thomas Jefferson, APA 30, uh, which was a troop trans an attack troop transport. And we sailed from Hunters Point to Honolulu and back, 
or actually we went to Pearl Harbor. Uh, it was a very rough trip going over. We had Marines fresh out of boot camp on board besides Sea Scouts. The Marines were very ill. The Sea Scouts were eating like horses. When we got to Hawaii, uh, a gentleman by the name of J. Neal Hansen, who was on the executive board of our council and an executive with the United Airlines, had arranged for an airline tour of Hawaii and also a luau. That was fun. Then we also had bus trips to all over the island of Oahu. It was really a great experience. Uh, we had liberty in Honolulu, and my friend and I went to the Royal Hawaiian Hotel. The Old Salt Regatta was started by San Mateo County Council in 1948, and the lead ship again was the Challenger, because the regatta was held in Red Bay. At that time, the Challenger had a skipper by the name of Bob Stoner, who had recently been discharged from the Navy as chief carpenter's mate. He proceeded along with the crew of the Challenger to build a 50-foot land ship on the beach. And for our opening and closing ceremonies, uh, the regatta was attended quite well by ships of our council and also outside the council. They initiated what was called the Old Salt's Wheel, and at that time they had two of them, one for ships of our council and one for outside units. The Old Salt's Regatta was held in Redwood City, and then later, because of changes to the harbor and dredging, it was held at Coyote Point for a number of years. Uh, since then, it's also been held at Treasure Island, and uh, I believe on the Jeremiah O'Brien also. But principally, it has now returned to Redwood City, where it was born. Uh, the Sea Scout program does have a lot of traditions. Uh, a lot of them go back to Lord Nelson. We try to instill in the youth some of the traditions that go, for example, with the uniform, and also teach them a little sea history while they're doing it. Uh, why we have the stripes, why you wear the black tie, why the collar on the uniform. The stripes on a Navy uniform, there's three of them. They, they're also taken from the Royal Navy uniform. What they do is they signify the three battles that Lord Nelson fought and won. Uh, the Battle of Copenhagen, the Battle of the Nile, and the Battle of Trafalgar. And these, of course, are very important in naval history. The black tie is in memory of the death of Lord Nelson. The collar flap was originally to keep tar off you because the sailors had pigtails that they tarred. The Sea Scouts also have ceremonial practices at their meetings. For example, the city ship Griffin is a highly traditional unit. It emphasizes three dress meetings a month. 
with the first meeting of the month normally uh, more of a work or study session. With the meeting ceremony is what we call a landship ceremony, which simulates the same type of action as a sailor in the United States Navy or Coast Guard falling aboard a ship, except that our salute is done differently. When a Sea Scout falls aboard a land ship, he does what's called the double salute. He first salutes inboard and then salutes aft. The inboard salute is a remembrance of the 12th Scout Law, the Scout is reverent, and dates back to the time in olden days when either a crucifix or something similar would be attached to the mainmast. Turning aft, he salutes to where the national ensign is on the land ship, the same as it is on a navy ship, as respect for our country. These also take evidence from the scout oath, which is on my honor, I would do my best to do my duty to God and to my country. The uh, volunteers in the 40s uh, were sort of thin because most of the eligible people had gone into service. Uh, sea Scouts were sought by especially the Navy and Coast Guard. Uh, for example, my crew leader Bill Clark enlisted in the Coast Guard in 1945, the beginning of it. And after three days in boot camp, he was sent to signal school. Uh, the ranks were pretty well decimated. So most of the leaders at that point were older gentlemen, uh, perhaps older scoutmasters and that type of thing. After World War II was ended and the veterans came back, there were many uh, fairly young Sea Scout leaders who had served in the Navy and Coast Guard uh, and who enjoyed running boats and such. One in our ship that worked hard, who had never been in scouting and a crew member was a gentleman by the name of Howard Smithson. He was a very nice man and uh, a hard worker for the ship. Uh, later on, at that point, I was a mate because in those days you could be a mate at age 18. And when my friend Bill Clark got out of the service, he became the skipper. So I guess probably my favorite volunteer was Bill Clark. The Griffin is, it was kind of interesting. Uh, there was a th theory that the Griffin actually started by under a different name, and the name was Osprey. And the ship's numerals were the same, there were 33. And the ship was chartered in Menlo Park to the Catholic Church in Menlo Park. The skipper at that time was a gentleman by the name of Charlie Oram. And that ship continued for a number of years. Then it dropped by the wayside. And then some officers from the Belmonster, an offshoot, formed, reformed the unit and named it Griffin. 
So actually, if you were looking for continuity of the numbers of the ship, the ship actually was formed in the 1950s. The present day unit, still unit 33, that once a few years ago was chartered in Menlo Park and has since been chartered in Redwood City, uh, was formed in the 70s. Most, most of the interesting stories kind of involve disasters, really. Uh, we've had a, over the years, I've uh, observed uh, a series of Sea Scout vessels that I've been associated with sinking. Uh, the Challenger, which was a 30-foot whaleboat, uh, was very tired. It was from the 1920s, that boat, and the seams were shot in it. And it had a heavy keel on it, and it sunk right off uh, where the current Kiwanis Fishing Pier is. That was where the main float was in those days. And the harbor master came running over to me and says, Don, you've got to get it out of there, which we did. We took the forestay off and witched it up with the Fury's winch. And Later on, we had problems with the Fury. It continually leaked. It was pretty shot when we got it. And uh, one time, the skipper at that time and I and a couple of Sea Scouts had brought the boat back from Treasure Island. And the skipper at the time was a great promoter. His name was Ray Zemanski. And he was quite proud. He promoted some free fuel from the Navy. Turns out it was part water. And as we were chugging down the bay, the engine quit, and it was very rough. And we started drifting and drifting and drifting, and we threw an anchor over the side. And finally, a vessel came out. At the time, they were building Foster City, and it came out to assist us. We couldn't get the anchor up. It was chained. So we had to cut the anchor loose, a Danforth, 75-pound Danforth, with about 100 feet of chain on it. But while we were doing it, the steel tug was banging into the side of the Fury, and I was down below trying to let the anchor go and watching the ribs crack every time that happened. Uh, then the last incident that was very tragic was the sinking of the Griffin. Uh, all of these were somewhat tragedies, but over the years they became challenges and triumphs because it really indicated the positive thinking of Sea Scouts who solved all the problems. The, the program I don't really think has changed that much. The ideas are still the same. Uh, it's to provide character building and citizenship for young youth, and the way that that's done is by interesting them in maritime pursuits. Uh, I sincerely hope that the program doesn't change in those pursuits, because I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. Uh, we have more expensive and more interesting toys perhaps now. Uh, our boats are much more sophisticated than they were, but still, the basis of the program uh, remains much the same. 
anybody who's really interested in that should perhaps delve into the old handbook for skippers, which was written by Dr. Menninger, who was the skipper of the Sea Scout ship Kansan, which was the national flagship during the 30s. It really gives the ideas of how a youth program should be structured and what interests youth and how you can get them to participate and grow with the program. It's really a wonderful book on psychology of youth. I, I continue to volunteer because I still think it's one of the finest youth programs there are. And frankly, I enjoy it. That's why I do it. I really enjoy watching the youth learn and mature. And if you look at it from a long term, you can really see how when the boys come in, they're young boys, and by the time they graduate from high school, most of them are effective young men. If you have any questions or want to hear a specific podcast, you can email us at podcasts at cscout.org. I'm Martha. And this is Izzy. And we will see you all next week. On the Lookout Podcast, Reef Points Track.